Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen, amen. It is wonderful to be in service with you all here today. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen, amen. Wherever God is, anything is possible. Doesn't matter what you're facing, to what you faced yesterday, what you're facing today, or what you're going to face this coming week. He's able. He's able. All you need today is one word from God, and everything can change. All you need today is take that step of faithful obedience, and you're going to walk into a whole new dimension with God. I believe that God is here to do some great things. Some great things here today. There's a great presence of God that's here from the very moment of walking into this place. I'm excited to see what God is going to do. I believe that we are living in the most wonderful time of the church. I believe that we're about to see some greatest things, some miracles, signs and wonders like we've never seen before. I believe that we're going to see the greatest harvest of backsliders and new people like never before. I believe that the church is the best thing that has ever existed, and we're a part of it. It started in the book of Acts, and it ain't going to end until the trumpet sounds. And I'm glad to be a part of his kingdom and what he is doing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's give a hand clap. Amen, amen. Thank you so very much, Brother Boyd, for allowing us to come. Thank you, church. Thank you for the word of God this morning, Brother Wayne. Did I get that right? Amen. Wow, what wonderful. This is just great, isn't it? Amen, amen, amen. Amen. You may be seated here for a little bit. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit uh, about myself and uh, my family. I have actually uh, four kids and one grandbaby um, that's uh, three months old. Um, so we um, are very, very excited about that. We have all kinds of pictures if you want to see them afterward. Um, so God is so good. We, uh, I was born and, and, uh, and raised in North Dakota. That's as far north as you can get without becoming Canadian, eh? And um, so that's where I was. Uh, I was born in Minot, North Dakota. So if there's any military people, there's a military base up there. I don't know what they're guarding, but, uh, you know, there, there used to be anyway. Um, but God is so good. We, um, I, I came into the church as a teenager. And, um, and uh, I, I say it always like this, that uh, when I, was, I came into church, I was born uh, and raised Catholic, and I mean Catholic, Catholic. Uh, my grandpa's brother was a priest, and uh, my mom went to school to become a nun, but uh, she decided four kids later that wasn't going to work. And so she went ahead and married my dad after Vietnam, and um, here we are today. Um, we, uh, me and my wife, we uh, pastored in Worthington, Minnesota, and I used to think I didn't have a Minnesotan accent until they said, why don't you say where you're from, Minnesota, 
And they're like, man, there it is. <laughs> um, this week, it was about minus 40 below, and I was here in Florida, so thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, the miracles just keep on coming. <laughs> Uh, but we pastored there for uh, 17 years, and I, I never really, th- I never thought that we would ever leave. We um, we raised our kids on a farm. We had a, now we didn't have farm co- equipment. We just had some horses and chickens and goats. And I, I don't recommend ever getting goats. They're a menace to society. Um, but uh, we that's what we had. And um, and uh, we when we went to Worthington, there was about 15 people, and that was including my family of five in a small farm community. Um, and uh, when we left, there was over 230 that God did some amazing, a miracle things. God's a great God. God's a great God. And I said that to say this. So when God called us to start a church in Boston, we were simply there on vacation. So be careful wherever you go on vacation. Okay? Make sure it's somewhere you want to go. So, uh, but you guys are already here in the vacation state, you know. So you're already here. But, uh, but uh, we went to Boston simply on a um, a vacation, and God was dealing with us the whole time. We never thought we would ever move away from where we were. We loved our city. We loved what God was doing. This was that they were our family. I mean, this is this is who we this we did life with and and to leave that when God hit us with it we were in Boston Commons and and God just hit us with such a burden and we knew that this is what God wanted us to do and and they were like is this for real and then I um my carnal flesh thing kicks in you know and and I I was like God I they, you don't need me to come to Boston there's this is a huge city it's it's over 4.7 million people in the metro area and I was like God there's probably hundreds of churches maybe thousands of churches in this area. That's one of the oldest cities in America. And so I went on the UPC website, and you can look up where churches are at, and I found there were four United Pentecostal churches. Four. For 4.7 million people. If you were wanting to go to church, it would take you well over 45 minutes. Longer than it took me to get here today from Gainesville, it would take you to go to church. And on that time, you would have to travel on maybe a few different trains because a lot of people, they don't, they don't have cars. There's a good share of the people that don't own a car. Or if they do, they only have one because it's so expensive to actually have one. And I realized that, there's, that when God started speaking to us about it, like I said, I wasn't raised in the church. I, I came into the church at a home missionary work. I remember the first time that I, I went, I didn't even know there was anything other than Catholic and Lutheran. I really didn't. I knew there was other religions, but I wasn't sure what they might have been. And so when my cousin kept on inviting me to go to church, I, I, I kept on saying no. I made fun of him. I said, what do I want to do with church and go sing songs and sit there and what a waste of time and all that kind of stuff that I was saying to him. And he kept on inviting me. Don't ever give up inviting. Don't ever give up. You have no idea how God is working behind the scenes. And so he pulled up and he pulled, he picked me up in their Volkswagen Rabbit 1980 diesel. If you know what that looks like and what that is, that was not a powerhouse. Uh, there was nobody putting pipes on the side and uh, doing anything like that. And we uh, uh, went to church, pulled down this residential street, pulled into a house. And I was like, this is not a church. I'm used to, when I went to church, it was a big Catholic church. There was over 2,000 people per service. And we're pulling up in a house. I'm like, this is a house. And I was like, what, is this going to be a bunker basement building, a church? I don't know. I'm going to have to fight my way out here. Is this like a cult like they were talking about? This would be a good story for all my friends. That's what I was thinking. 
And uh, we go down there, and I realize there's, here's a couch there, and there's a table, and there's shoes here in the entryway, and we go downstairs, and there's some folding chairs set up, and, and I can't tell you what they sung. I, I can't tell you what he preached, but I felt the presence of God for the first time in my life. I knew there was something real about it. I remember going, I don't know what this is I'm feeling. I wanted to cry. I I wanted to run. I wanted to to shout. I I was excited. I was scared. I was all these things at, at one time. And I knew there was something about this place. And it changed my life. I went home that day, and my mom was waiting for me at the door, and, and she uh, knew I was going to church, which that was kind of a weird event. So she met me at the door, and she said, so how was it? And right away when I started even just to talk about what it was, I couldn't put it into words. I said, Mom, and I started crying, and she looked at me like, you know, and she looked at me and said, are you on drugs? Now, she said that a lot to me in those days. So I, I was like, no, no, no. She's like, you sure you didn't drink something? You didn't smoke nothing? I go, no, 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 not at all. I go, there's something about that church. There's something about it. And, folks, I want you to know that the people in Boston, they need to feel the presence of God at least one time. They deserve to walk into a service and hear the truth and know that they can be separated from their sin and their shame and that God wants to do something new in their life and that they can have hope, have real hope. And I realized that when God was calling me and my wife to go to Boston to start a church, here's a city that needs to know who God is. I don't know if you know who Brother Chester Wright is. I, I never knew who he was. I, I have met him since. And, and he was, I heard a story about him. He was driving from Maine and, and driving through Boston and going all the way back to Maryland, D.C., where he pastors in that area. And he was praying and he was saying to God, I don't understand why there's no churches, there's no churches, there's no churches. And he's just going down this whole northeast area. And, and, and God then spoke to him and said, I have called them, but they won't come. We need to go. See, why God asked me, I believe, to go the Metro Missions way. I, I did drywall for a living. I owned a, a drywall company, and that's what I was just going to go do and start up again. But God told me, no, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go around traveling because this is what God said. It's because the first, this is the thing, that if anything's going to happen in the natural, it's first going to happen in the spiritual. And what needs to show up in Boston isn't a church, but it needs to be the church. And there's a partnership in prayer that is, going, is happening that as I've been traveling over for a year and a few months, uh, what's happening is people are binding together in prayer and praying for the city of Boston that God is going to do a revival work in that city once again. At one time, it was a religious epicenter of the new world. At one time when you walk around there, if you've ever been there, you'll see that there's all kinds of things that even they say that Acts 2.38, you'll find it on the floors in old churches. You'll find it in, in the window, in the panes, in the, in the stained glass windows. But today it's the second most post-Christian society in America. What that means is they have rejected God. They say that when you talk to people in Boston, you have to tell them who is God and why should that be God. But I believe that God is stirring things up in our world like never before. 
And Mass Gen is the is a hospital there. They're known as one of the best hospitals in the world, and they can't solve all the problems that are going on. They've always looked to their economy as being so strong that they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, if you will, and that economy is is devastating. And there's places in Boston now, because of all the things that have gone in in our world today, is 30% unemployment. They used to have sports, used to be a big thing. It was their God. Everything from Red Sox to the Patriots to you name it, all the different sports, Bruins, Celtics, all these different things like that. And then nobody can go to any of the games anymore. Everything is being changed, and I believe that God is getting that city ready for God, the step on the scene, that they realize there is a real God that has real power, that has real anointing, that really loves them, and he has a plan for their life, and if they will follow it, they'll have fulfillment like never before. So I'm going to ask you here today, if you will, partner with me in prayer. Let's all stand, if you will. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We are, um, I, I don't know how you guys do it. I'm just going to leave this. All right, that there's a partnering, and we do have um, uh, projects. We need to have, um, we're going to do in Portable Church. What Portable Church is, is that it's, a, it's in a trailer. And so that we can go from area to area because I believe that there's so many areas up there that have no church and people won't travel very far at all that we need to be the church that goes to where the people are. So we plan on having multiple services during the week. This is what this program is going to allow us to do. And um, so I'm just asking you to pray for consider that, talk to your pastor about that. Um, But I'm going to ask you here today to partner with us in prayer. Because what that city needs, it needs a spiritual move of God. I believe that everything, I, I came in, that church that I came into was a revival, prayer revival church. It was based, based on prayer. And then when me and my wife, we went and, and uh, took to church in Worthington, Minnesota, it was, we started all about prayer, 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 prayer. That's what changes everything. So I ask you here today, I want you to pray for whatever it is that God lays on your heart, the pray against, bind or loose in Boston, but it's a partnership. And so whatever you're praying for there, I want you to start praying that right here in this city, in this area, in this county, that God will start to do it here. Because whatever God is going to do here, that God would do in Boston. And whatever God is doing in Boston, God would also do here. Because we're a part of the family of God. And it doesn't matter if you're here in Florida or Minnesota or in Mass, Rhode Island. God is wanting to unite his church like never before. And that happens through prayer. So let's pray together here today. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord God, Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for your presence that's already been here with us. I thank you, Lord God, Lord, that we know, God, you're real, Lord God, and the testimonies that are based here in this place today. But God, today, I pray, Lord God, Lord, you start reaching and touching in the hearts and the lives of people in Boston. God, that you tear down the lies of the enemy and the suicide, Lord God, the spirit of suicide, Lord God, and deception, Lord, that has plagued them and held them captive for years and years and generations. I pray that in the name of Jesus there would be a breakthrough like never before. I pray, Lord God, there would be a revival. Lord God, would touch their heart and their life, an awakening. Lord God, again, Lord God, is your church, your body. We bind together in prayer. But God, I 
pray that right now, Lord God, in this place and in this church. I pray, Lord God, for the ministry. God, Lord, you strengthen them, that you would bless them. I pray that, Lord God, Lord, in this church, Lord, you would draw the hungry hearts, that this would be a beacon of light and of hope, Lord God, to this world and to this city and to this county and this area. I pray, Lord God, Lord God, you would bless them with unity and strength, Lord God, and the desire. God, I pray, Lord God, throughout this week, there would be doors that would open and opportunities, Lord, like never before. I pray, Lord God, you call back the backsliders. Lord God, bring a revival. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just give him a hand clap of praise here today. Amen, amen. If you will, grab your Bibles with me and turn to Mark. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 46. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 46. And they came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude of people, and blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. I want to talk to us today for just a couple minutes about begging for change. Begging for change. See, I believe that this world, like the Bible says in John 10.10, there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But in that same verse, Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Oh, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Aren't you glad that God walked into your life and said, you're going to have life and life more abundantly? Oh, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, Lord, that here today in the service, Lord God, don't let it be my words, but let it be your words. God, that bring life and hope and encouragement and strength, Lord God, to your people today. Lord, I pray, Lord God, Lord, that we would realize, Lord God, an opening and a changing and a shaking. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen. We find this story here today as blind Bartimaeus as he was begging on the side of the road as, as a place where uh, it was probably, I, I, would, I would liken it to sitting at the gates of maybe Disney World. You know, where you got all kinds of people coming, and it's hard to say you don't have anything if there's a, you're going to a place like Disney World. To, and uh, and uh, the beggars, they would, they would hang out in these areas where there would be a lot of traffic, and, and we find here that he is, is begging, and he's begging simply for uh, something to fill his cup. But then he hears that it is Jesus. And something changes in his whole demeanor. See, I believe that our world today has a victim mentality that wants to push on everybody. We're finding it more and more. It's easily to, it's harder and harder not to offend somebody. 
in our world today. We, we are living now in a world where it, it, it is something if you're not offended. It, it, it's, we're living in a world that people in our society, it, it's like it's okay if you have this beggar mentality, a victim mentality. It's almost an honorable position almost if you can tell people how many problems that you have and why is somebody else's fault in your life. But see, I believe that God comes to set us free from that mentality. See, we're supposed to be living life and life more abundantly, a fulfillment that's not based on our circumstances and our world around us. See, there's something unique about what God says. He's not about just filling our cup. He wants to do something much greater than that. But life is real, and life isn't fair. Bad things happen to good people. There's times in our life that things happen to us because out of circumstances that we cannot control, and it hits us and we leaves us changed. Sometimes, if you will, emotionally, we walk with a limp. We walk with a, a hesitation. We're scared. It's like the first time you get into a fight and someone hits your nose. You know, like, I don't want that to happen again. You know, there's, there's, there's different things in life that all of a sudden it, it leaves us in a situation where we start feeling like that there's nothing that we can do and we are based and we, we if you will, emotionally in every which way we hold out a cup and it's always about somebody else giving us something. See, a beggar mentality is it's always based on somebody else doing something for us. I'm unhappy because my spouse won't make me happy. I'm unhappy because of my kids. I'm unhappy because of my finances. I'm unhappy because of my job. And it's always somebody else's responsibility. But see, God is saying here that he doesn't want us to live with a beggar mentality. He wants to set you free here today. But the devil wants us always to be a beggar mentality. See, now that's a world mentality. But if we're not careful, we bring that beggar mentality right into the church with us. Many of us came to God because we had that beggar mentality and God all of a sudden filled our cup and we were like, okay, there's something great about this. He can do it like nobody else can do it. But there comes a time that we need to realize that I can't be a beggar anymore and be in the house of God. Because if we're not careful, we become a beggar and a beggar mentality in churches like this. Uh, we, we come into the church and it's always about what the preacher's going to do. We hope he prayed because we haven't prayed. We hope they study and they give us the word of God. I hope they cut it up in the bites that won't choke us or hurt us. That's a beggar mentality. I hope that he doesn't offend anybody. I hope that he, he does all the work and he's doing all the praying and all the fasting. And we just kind of hold up our spiritual finger and say, how good was service today? And we think we can hit likes or shares on that simply saying, oh, that was good or bad. That's a beggar mentality. It's a beggar mentality when it's up to the music, uh, music team and worship team to create the presence of God. Well, I'm just waiting until they sing that song I like. I'm just waiting until, until you know, they sing it the way I like it. I'm just going to wait until sister so-and-so gets into the spirit of God or, or brother so-and-so goes up to the front. And then, then, and then I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll go ahead and raise my hand. See, that's a beggar mentality when we don't tithe, we don't get involved in church. But we're always coming just with a cup. What can I get today? And there comes a time where God says, I don't want to fill your cup no more. It's time for a change. See, I believe that, like I said, I believe we're living in the greatest time for the church age. 
But God is wanting to do something unique and special with us like never before. Walking with a purpose and determination and a fulfillment in our heart and our life that is not dependent on what's going on around us no more. Separating us truly and setting us apart. See, we find here that with this beggar mentality, it, it holds us back, it limits us. But we find here in the story with blind Bartimaeus that there's some things that if we want to no longer be a beggar, there are some things that we're going to have to do. One of the first things is that we find here that he did. It says that in Mark chapter 10, verse number 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then when the people started to tell him to be quiet, he cried out all the louder. See, one of the first things that you are going to have to do is we're going to have to start ignoring the crowd. Church, we're going to have to stop caring about what the news says and what the future holds. And we're going to start having to get into the book and see what the Bible says the future holds. we got to be more concerned about what this says, what's going to be happening, than what they say is going to be happening. We have to get to the place where people that are holding us back from worshiping and following God, we're just going to have to crowd all the louder. We're going to have to stop caring what other people are thinking or what other people think. Let me tell you what a lie of the enemy is. People want what you got. It's a lie that they don't want it. It's a lie that they're happy where they're at. They're miserable. They're looking for something that's real more than ever before. They need the church. They need you and I to be the people of God. Walking in the power and the anointing of God that's inside of you with the Holy Ghost. You have God's presence inside of you. And God isn't wanting just to fill cups no more. He's shaking it up and he's changing us. And, and it has to come a place where you find here, there are some times in my life, and I found this out, there were people that were good to me. They helped me to get me out of a jam, but they weren't good for me. There's sometimes people around you, they like you being the victim. Part of the reason they like you being the victim is they like to be the one that pours into your cup. Oh, I'm going to counsel you. You got a pastor. You got God. Come on, sometimes you got to get rid of the crowd mentality. You got to cry out to God and stop crying out to sister or brother so-and-so. Or looking and seeing what the internet has to say. Sometimes we got to put all that aside and say, God, what are you saying in the situation? Stop letting somebody else. There's some people, they like to be the one and control the poor cups in, and the poor in you. And they go and get it. And then they, they want to talk to you and counsel you. And they, they like you having a bad marriage. They like you being, being a beggar. God doesn't want you to be that way. God wants you to be whole. God wants you to be a revivalist. God wants you to reach your world. God wants you to know that he loves you. He loves you and you can talk to him. Oh, in Jesus' name. We're going to have to recognize who he is. When he cried out and he said this, understand, he was walking in Herod's palace where he had, Herod had killed all these babies. Tried to wipe off a generation simply so that nobody would ever say these words. 
thou son of David. What he was saying is, you're the rightful king. You're the Messiah. A blind guy in the midst of a whole crowd starts crying out and saying, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. And they wanted him to be quiet. And he cried out all the louder. There needs to come a time in our life where we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. That I'm going to get a hold of God today. I'm not going to let one more service go by. I'm going to get up my knees. I'm going to pray like I've never prayed before. I don't want this. I don't want that. I want God. I don't want my cup filled no more. I want to be whole. We got to get to the place where we say, I need Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else is going to work. I'm not asking for something in my cup. I'm not asking for more money. I'm asking for God. And he gets to the place where not only is he crying out to him and doing this, but the second thing we see this is, is Jesus stops. He says, come. And this is very important what you see happen here. Mark chapter 10, verse number 15, it says this. And he cast away his garment and rose and came to Jesus. Now, if we're not careful, we just pass right out of that because that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But see, back in those days, the garments represented who you were. A police officer, when he puts on that coat, you recognize he's a police officer. He might be so-and-so, you might know him as around, you might have grew up with him, but when he puts that on, that's when you know who he is. And see, and back in that day, that even the beggars that were legitly beggars, they, they wore a coat, and it represented who they were, that this was really a beggar. Now understand this, when he heard, he hadn't got his miracle yet, but he took off his coat saying, I am no longer going to be a beggar. What were the chances of a blind guy finding his coat in the midst of a crowd ever again? Zero. See, sometimes God calls us to do a step of faith that it seems crazy to us, but God is going to unlock something because it takes that step of faith. There was a, a lady in our church, because missionaries tell stories, so I'm going to tell one real quick and we'll move on. <clears throat> there was a lady in our church when we were... Um, Pretty, uh, we were just trying to get things going, and and uh, and we were no longer using the the plastic, you know, thing that you print it off and you put it on the projector, and then you pulled it off and you put it on. You guys know what I'm talking about. And we we got and when we had uh, we started getting worship leaders up there. And there's a lady, Jenny. And when Jenny first started coming to church, Jenny came to me and and uh, she said, "I don't want nobody touching me. I don't want anybody praying with me." And this is before COVID, you know. So it was just. And I, and because Jenny, she goes, I'm just coming because my husband's coming to church. And he was a, a backslidden uh, a young man that uh, grew up in, in the church, but then backslid and uh, joined the Marines. And now he's married and he's starting to come to church because God started dealing on his heart. And I knew, and I said, Jenny, that's all right. You just come and sit. And she just kind of sit in the back. And not, nothing gets anybody in the back, but, you know, and, and so she just kind of sit in the back and she just kind of stare at me, you know. But see, I knew this. I knew this that God loved Jenny. And I knew Jenny had been hurt by so many people and let down in her life that she didn't even know what real love was. And she didn't trust it. But I knew if she just kept on coming, God was going to keep loving on Jenny. 
and Jenny, and I watched how Jenny's life changed, and I watched how her attitude changed. She got filled with the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name. She became a prayer warrior in our church. She became a minister in our church, and, and we, we had Jenny. Jenny was shy. You might never have known Jenny. You never maybe even knew her name if you were coming to church for a while because Jenny was just not one of those super outgoing people. And we, and we decided that we needed, uh, uh, we, uh, my wife felt like to have Jenny. Jenny, you need to be part of our worship team. And uh, so Jenny came up there, and this is, you know, how it is. It's very uncomfortable being up in front. And, and so Jenny, it was, uh, you know, I don't know, her second or third time, and, and you know how you, you stand here and you hold the mic and you don't move and you look down at a spot on the carpet, and if you don't move, nobody, and you're not looking at them, they can't see you. You know, it kind of helps you get through the moment. And that's the way it was, and we were singing a song that, uh, that uh, said this. Uh, um, oh, man, I can't believe I forget. Uh, Shout to the Lord with triumph. Maybe you've sang it before. You know what it is. And, and, uh, and so, Jenny, we got to the place where it said shout, and Jenny went, woo. She went, woo, on a song saying shout to the Lord just a little bit. And people were like, what in the world was that? You know? So we, don't, we didn't, weren't doing it. You know, we're Norwegians from Minnesota. Don't you know? We don't need that extra warmth. We just, you know, we, we, you know, we were a little bit more stiffer at that time in our worship. We wanted to be more. We just weren't there yet. And so we get to the second time around, and Jenny goes, whoa, a little bit louder, a little bit longer. And it's like, oh, okay. Jenny, shy Jenny is stepping out. And then it makes it a long story short, we get to the end, and there is an outbreak, people in the audience, everyone standing up, worship, there was something that broke in our church, in our worship, that never went back to the same way, all because Jenny went ahead and went, woo, it was something small, it was something different, but it unlocked something in our church. And you know what God showed me was this, it wasn't me that did it. It wasn't a pastor that did it. It wasn't my wife that did it. It wasn't a worship leader that did it. It was shy Jenny. And what God showed me is this. There are keys. Every one of you, you are not here by accident. Every one of you have a key. And when God asks you to step out on that faithful obedience, it could be as simple as something going woo. And it will unlock something in the church and in your family and in the city and this county that God says, that's the opportunity I was waiting for. I was waiting for you to go ahead and believe that I love you and that I'm for you and I'll use you in whatever way that God asks you to do. It can be small, but God is saying, go ahead and believe me. And when you step out on that faith, God is going to unlock some things. See, blind Bartimaeus, when he threw off the coat, what he was also saying is that, if when we say this, it says that the son of Timaeus. So you had to understand something. What it was saying this is this, that his dad was more likely blind. Saying that this is a son of a blind man, and he's Bartimaeus, and, and his whole family, they'll always be blind people. They'll always be this box. This is who they are. And so when he did, when he threw off that coat, see, there are sometimes we need to lose who we are so we can become who God wants us to be. Because you can't put on two identities. And so what God was saying to him there, I believe that he went ahead and he threw off that coat. And what we need to realize, there are some things that people have said about you, said about your family, 
And they've always said this is the way they'll always be. This is what his dad was like. This is what his mama was like. And this is what they'll all be like. And that's what all their kids will always be like. You need to throw that off. That's a lie. That is a lie. You went down in the name of Jesus. You rose to a brand new family. You don't need to put on that coat no more. You're not that person no more. You're not a loser. You are valuable. You are a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he loves you and he forgave you. You need to throw that off and say, I am who he says I am. And he threw off that coat and he came to Jesus. Last but not least, is here we find another portion here of story. That he says here, and it says then in Mark chapter 10, verse number 52, and it says, And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now, you might not realize this. I didn't know this for quite some time, but the way is what the early church was actually called. They were called the way. So I, I, this is my own personal belief, but whatever your pastor says, he's right, I'm wrong, Okay. But I believe that Bartimaeus was there. I believe that when he penned this was to let them know that from that day forward, he was never a blind man again. He was never a beggar. He walked with Jesus. He was in the way. He was there at the day of Pentecost. He was a part of the church triumphant. And one of the things is, is that if we're not careful that we'll run by, is that sometimes what we need to do, see what happens is we can have a great service tonight and come Monday morning, we're back begging. You might be looking on Facebook to see how many friends you like, got, how many friends you got, what's going on. You might be rating it by how big your bank account is. You might get up in the morning and how good God is and how your body is feeling. Or what situation you're facing. See, that's a cup mentality. See, if we're not careful, what the devil does is he tries to slide that cup back into our hand. So that you start basing everything upon what you feel in this cup. Now that cup, it can be anything. However you define success. But what you and I have got to do is we got to throw the cup away and say, I don't want a cup mentality. I didn't come to church simply to get a cup full. I want to be the cup. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. I want to throw off the coat. I want to follow him. I don't want a cup mentality in life. I didn't come to see what I could get. I want to be a part of his family. I'm not going to be a beggar no more. See, there's a story that unfolds this and, and, and that we find here in John chapter 4, verse number 10. It's where God is starting to unveil some things about the New Testament church. He starts giving some things to the Samaritan lady. Now we look at the story and we understand that he said to her and he goes, well, you know, you, you don't have one husband, you have five. So we understand her cup was relationship, right? Because things were good in her life if her relationship was good. But then what she thought, and this is the way you are with a cup mentality, you're always going around and just trying to, whatever you can get into the cup, whatever seems to fill the cup. Well, my husband or my wife or my spouse didn't make me happy, I'll go find somebody else to make me happy. See, that's a beggar mentality. It's always going to lead you wrong. And you'll never be fulfilled. Because everybody's cup leaks. 
And the devil's very, very, very uh, uh, much going to, if you will, tip your cup every now and then. I remember when we first started pastoring. One more story for a missionary. <clears throat> I realized something that me and my wife, and I can say this with all honesty, with her right there, if we were ever going to fight, you know what day it was going to be? It was going to be on Sunday, that's right, or Wednesday. There came a time where we said, we are not going to talk on the way to the church. I don't care if I run over kitties and bunnies on the way to the church. We are not going to talk about it until after church. I, I, we, are, we are not going to have that discussion. We are going to put that on hold because, because if there was ever going to be a time that I was going to wake up crabby or she was going to wake up crabby, it was going to be on Sunday or on Wednesday. And we're going to spend most of the time, we're going to be fighting and fussing all the way in the church. And, and we're going to get in and be like, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. God is good. Oh, isn't it? And she'll be sitting there going, he is a scoundrel. If they only knew what I got to put up with. What a fake. Oh, I felt it all service long, too. <laughs> you know it. I don't know if it was the conviction of God, but all I know is she started testifying about, your prayers will be stopped. No, just kidding. If your wife and you are in problems, no, just kidding. She didn't do that. But if we're not careful, what ends up happening is we base our cup on everything that we can. And this story starts to unfold something that Jesus starts telling her, saying, okay, there's something more. And we find here in John chapter 4, verse number 10, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God and who it, and who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink. Thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Start showing something different. It's not about a cup mentality. He starts saying there's going to come a time where people aren't going to worship people. He's not going to worship him in the temple. It's going to be in the spirit of truth. Spirit and in truth, that's what it, he was talking about. There's going to be something new. It's not going to be based on going to a temple. It's going to be based on a relationship. There's something that's going to start changing. He starts telling them about living water. He goes on and he says this in verse number 13 and 14. It says, and Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water is going to thirst again. Cup mentality. You're just going to keep on being thirsty. You're going to keep using it up. But Jesus was trying to show her something. He says, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give them, never thirst again. But this water shall give him, be, that I shall give him, shall be in him a well of living of water springing up into everlasting life. See, no more cup needed. You go out to the ocean and you throw a cup into it or you take a cup out, it, it doesn't even know the difference. But see, what God is wanting you and I to be is that living water. I, I don't need to get something from this world. It doesn't matter what the situation has. I've got a spring of living water. I've got fulfillment like never before. I, I've got the presence and the power of God because we get up in the morning and I seek his face. And I want to make sure everything's good with me and him. The first thing I check is in my bank account or my Facebook account or see what things are going on, good or bad in the world. But I see, what does he say? What has he got for me today? What has God wanted me to see? What has God wanted me to do today? I know I got to go to a job or I got to go to school or I got this going on. But God is wanting us to be more in this world but not of this world. We got to remember who you are 
And what it is you've got. You've got a river of living water flowing in you. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name and you've got the Holy Ghost, there's a living water that is wanting just to bubble up in your life and keep you fulfilled every day of your life. No matter what the situation is, maybe you remember when you got the Holy Ghost. There wasn't all of a sudden money that got into your account. You went back to the same job. You went back to the same marriage, same life, same home. But there was something different. You had that living water. We need to get back to the living water. We need to say, God, fill me again. God, restore it again. God, I need you more than ever before. Oh, in Jesus' name. We need to get rid of that cup mentality. And in closing, in verse, John chapter 4, verse number 28, it says this, and the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. Huh. She didn't need it no more. She went in the city and they had a revival. They did. They had a revival. A lady that didn't want to be around anybody, didn't want to be seen, didn't want nobody to, to be talking. She went there at a time when nobody else was there because she, was, she was, had shame in her life. She realized there's something. And she goes, I don't need that no more. You and I got to get to the place where we say, I don't need that no more. See, it's easy for us to get fused in life sometimes. God doesn't answer the prayer that we thought he was going to answer. Somebody says something about us that hurts us deeply. And in those times, it's just, it sometimes can be a revealing fact of, do I have a cup, God? Am I still basing things on a cup? See, I can't say it for you, but sometimes we can come to church and we've got a cup mentality. And God is saying, what I want to do is so much more than a cup. Sometimes we can leave and we go, I don't even know if I felt God. Don't raise your hand if you've ever felt that way, but we felt that way, all of us, at one time or another. And what it was is God said, I'm not going to fill the cup no more. I'm not going to do the things that you're saying that you're holding on to because I want something greater for you. Let's all stand here today. <clears throat> See, we might be dealing with some shame, some disappointment, loss of vision. Might be some things that we feel we're distant from God. But here today, I don't know what it is that you might have to do. Maybe you got to start ignoring the crowd. You got to make up your mind today, you know what, I'm going to cry out to Jesus. I'm going to cry out to Jesus. I'm not going to let somebody else always be the one that pours into my cup or, or, or is always the one. I, I want to I hear what God, you've got to say. See, he went to a cross so that you could have a relationship with him. God wants to meet you every morning. He wants to, him to be the one that you run to. Or maybe it's the fact that you need to throw off some things. The devil likes to put a cup, of, if you will, a coat of shame on us and regret and failure. 
You know, he, he loves to take things from our past and so that he can control our present so he can manipulate our future. See, he's, he's worried about the, the people that will throw off that coat and say, I'm going to be identified as his son or his daughter and nothing else. Because when you start to do that, you become dangerous and you become super valuable in the kingdom of God. Because situations stop manipulating you. Because you start looking at the storm and you say, peace be still. You start taking that authority because you've got that living water in you. And even when it doesn't happen, you can be like the children. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and go, it doesn't matter. Oh, king, you can make that furnace hotter. That's all right. It doesn't matter what the situation is. We're not going to bow. We're not even going to be careful the way that we say this. We're his. And we don't have to live in fear of what's going on. Because I've got living water. My life isn't dependent on what somebody else can give me or what somebody else can take away. You so always say it that way, right? The world didn't give it, so the world can't take it away. Sometimes we just got to learn to live by that then, not just say the words. Or maybe it's that, that cup that all of a sudden got, we find it on our, linked on our belt buckle or on our loop of our, we didn't even realize it's there, but every now and then we're always basing things on how we call ourselves successful or not. Maybe you need to redefine what success is. That's not based on what somebody else is thinking about you, but it's based on, is he happy with me? God, are you happy with me? Is our relationship good? Is it for real? Is our relationship good? Is all things good? That when we start caring about that, then God starts taking care of everything. And all these other things, they just don't seem to matter no more. See, there's things that God is going to start saying, you know, this is what's going to start mattering to you more than that. And, and this is going to start mattering to you less because of that. And God's going to start changing us and making us into who he wants us to be. Because we throw off that coat and say, God, I want that living water. I don't want to thirst anymore again. So I'm going to open up this altar here today, or you want to pray in your pew, whatever you're comfortable with. But let's get a hold of God here today for just a couple minutes. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, Lord, in this place today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.